morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Well, it's great to have you guys with us. And for those joining us from the comfort of their own couch online, you're welcome as well. So we're in a series uh, called You Asked For It. And what we're going to do in the next several weeks is actually try to help you have your questions answered. Now, for you that submitted them. And then we also have a lot of big questions about Christianity and about um, anything about God, the Bible, and things of that nature. Now, here is the purpose of this. Number one, um, it's not for me to give you my opinions. Matter of fact, here's the thing you have to understand. Um, I have dedicated my life to studying Scripture. So if you say, well, Pastor, what do you believe about this? Um, here's the thing. I can share with you what I believe, but it would behoove you to study the Scriptures. And here's why. Because I'm not going to stand in front of God for you. You're going to stand in front of God yourself to answer according to how you live, to what you understood the scriptures say. And right now in our world, there's a lot of, a lot of culture in seminary professors, or not seminary, university professors that are feeding us, and there are some seminary ones feeding us stuff too, of opinions and beliefs and soapboxes, but we have not been able to go and look and decide for ourselves. So what's going to happen with these questions is, it's not to me give you, to give you an answer. First, for me to help you understand that Christianity has guardrails. And it's a very wide, wide road there with Christianity, meaning that you have some brothers and sisters in, that, that are Christian in the Christian faith that may believe something that's different than what you believe. But it's still within the rails and the realms of Christianity, right? It's, you're not going outside the box, you're not creating your own box, but it's this. I want to help you understand this is what you know, Christianity believe, and it can differ, but as long as you're in this box, yes, that's considered Protestant Christianity. And so as we look at these questions, it's not for me to just give you an answer or tell you what to do. It's to help you to be informed, to make your own decision, so you can study the scriptures and learn more and figure out what you believe about something. This is not what my pastor believes or even what my church believes. It's about what do you believe as you look through it. I want to personally help disciple you. So we have a lot of questions. And today, the first one we're going to jump off on is this one. It's this. A lot's going on here I'm going to unpack. But it's, did Jesus always know that Judas would betray him? If he knew, uh, if, or if he, um, excuse me, if he knew he would always betray him, then why did he choose him to be one of his disciples? And the second follow-up question of that is, and I'll break both of these down, is didn't Judas think he was pushing Jesus to be the military king that Jewish people were waiting for? But when he found out that, um, that he truly wasn't that military king, he, um, he was horrified and then took his own life. Why would God do that? Wouldn't that be setting him up or was a test that Judas failed miserably? Okay, so here is the question. Now, a lot of your questions with God and Christianity are going to really come down to this. It's called the sovereignty and providence of God, meaning that God, quote-unquote, is in control, or God rules and reigns, and he's the king, and you have this mentality, or the responsibility of man. And in Christianity, we believe in the sovereignty of God, the providence of God that goes way beyond our ability to, to perceive and conceive how he thinks. And then we also believe in the responsibility of man. We believe in those two. So when somebody asks a question about Judas and this here, there's a bigger thought process that's happening instead of just answering that question. And this is what you have to understand about Christianity. Remember I told you there's, there's lanes? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to give you two big sides of the guardrail and everything else plays in the middle. 
there is a, a group, and a very big group, who was shaped by John Calvin. And John Calvin was a theologian who has now has formed Calvinism. And Calvinism is a huge part of the Christian belief system and, and uh, Protestant Christianity, right? Here's what Calvinism believes. And I'm going to tell, tell you what the other believe, and we'll, then we'll talk about Judas. Calvinism believes that God, in his sovereignty and providence, has already preordained and predestined all things to happen as they should, and we have no free will, and we have no choice. We're just playing out the script that God made for us in this movie. And that, you know, he makes some vessels for honor and some for dishonor. He says that in Romans, right? That who's the potter, uh, or who's the clay to say to the potter what he should do? We're the clay, he's the potter. So they say, hey, listen, he hardened Pharaoh's heart, Romans 9, 10, right? So what choice do we have in the matter? And there are scriptures that say those who he, who he loved, he predestined or he chose. And so you're seeing Calvinism believes that God's sovereignty and providence is the end result. And we have very little even responsibility in the matter. That if you're chosen to be saved, you're saved. If you're not, tough luck. That's what God chose. Who are you? A wee man to question God. So you get that? That's Calvinism. And I have a lot of good Calvin brothers in, in the faith and sisters of faith who believe this. And they, they will die on the hill with it. And they love to argue. That's one thing about Calvinists. They love to argue. If you, ever, if, you, if you ever hang out with them, they just love it. So anyway, I'm like, I don't like to argue. And so I'm like, hey, can we talk about something different because we're going to disagree? Um, so the other side of that is this. You have Calvinism and you have Armenianism from a theologian named Armenian and others who developed the thought that, yes, God is sovereign. And there's this providential plan that we don't, yeah, we don't understand where it begins and ends, but we have a responsibility. Because we get to choose, just like Adam and Eve had to choose. They, there's a choice. You have no morality. How can you be judged if there's no choice? And one of the major scriptures, I can't get into all of them, but it's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, gave his only begotten son, that whoever or whosoever should believe in him will have everlasting life, right? They won't perish, they'll have everlasting life. Whosoever will. And so when you look at a context like Judas, did he have a choice? Or if God knew, why would God do that? Here's what you have to live in with Christianity. You have to live with a paradox. A paradox, are, it, it's two things that seem contradictory, but are both true at the same time. If you're married, you're probably like, I love that person, I can't stand them. <laughs> right? I mean, that's a paradox. Well, think about this. Confident humility. And you're like... That's a, that, those two, can't, yes, they can't exist. Mother Teresa was the, the beautiful picture of that paradox. She was confident and she was very humble. And so you have to understand, if you're going to follow Christ, you have to live with some paradoxes. Where God is sovereign, there's a providential plan, and there's things that he has in motion. And, he, and they're just saying, we have responsibility. And so you have to live with that. And where it starts and ends, I'm going to tell you, I don't really know sometimes. And it's not for me to even know or figure out. What I understand from my life is this, God's sovereign. He has a plan. There are purposes way beyond what, what, what I understand. No, and my job every day is to wake up and to glorify him and to live for him, right? And to do all I can to make Jesus known and to share his love with others. So when it comes to Judas, the first question is, and I've got to unpack this because it's a good one. Did Jesus always know that Judas would betray him? Now, this is important. Because then they follow up and say, if he knew he would always betray him, then why did he choose him to be one of his disciples? Now, here's what you have to understand about Jesus. And this is Calvinism and Arminianism and all those in between believe this about, about Christ. 
He was 100% God and 100% man. He was not just a good dude, not just a good teacher, not just came and just to do some good stuff, but he was 100% God in the flesh and 100% man. And what we know is that he was the Word, right? There was a, there's the Father, there's the Son of the Holy Spirit, and the Word was in heaven, and he became flesh, it says in John, that he came to earth. In a few months, we're going to celebrate Advent, God coming in the form of a baby. Now, here's what it, Paul says in Philippians. He says that Christ emptied himself out when he came. Emptied himself what, of his divine privileges. Meaning that when Christ came, he got hungry, maybe even hangry, right? He got tired. He got thirsty. And also, no, we know this, that he needed naps. Amen? Somebody say, praise the Lord. Y'all going to need that after today. Some of y'all servants is early this morning here. He grieved. And he prayed. If he knew everything, why pray? He had to study the scriptures as a child. He had to learn the Torah. Uh, Luke says he grew in wisdom. He just didn't have it given to him. And so what we know is, is that Christ had to rely upon the Holy Spirit just like we do. Because he was the perfect model for us. He, he didn't know everything all the time. We don't know how it worked. I wasn't in his mind and I don't know. But what we understand is this. He had a growing awareness that continued to get stronger and stronger to us, a clear picture that he knew his mission was the cross, and he did not want to have to do it. But he knew that was the ultimate plan, that he was not to be a military king or political messiah, right? So when it came to Judas, we don't know when he knew this about Judas. We don't know when this awareness came. We don't know when the Holy Spirit began to show him these things. We have no idea when. But we do know at a certain point, it became very clear to Jesus that Judas would do this. Now the question begs, was this God's plan for Judas to be a vessel of dishonor, as it says in Romans? Was this a God's original intent for Judas? We have some scriptures where they begin to talk about this, that this was, they believe that this was, some of the Old Testament scriptures, this was planned. Now was it Judas? We don't know if it was always supposed to be Judas, or maybe he just took the role on. What we do know, it says Satan entered his heart, Meaning that he began to entertain very, very terrible thoughts of betraying his friend and his rabbi Jesus. That he began to entertain that, and he carried that through. Now, was this God's preordained plan? That's for you to say yes or no. Even if it was God's preordained plan for Judas to betray Jesus, because Jesus had to get to the cross, right? That was the plan. Here's what we do know. His betrayal of Jesus didn't have to end there. Because why? There's grace and there's mercy and there's forgiveness. Peter denied Jesus, cussed out a servant girl and left Jesus hanging, right? Left him out to dry. But what happened? Peter was restored and became the leader of the New Testament church. Judas went to the place, it says, of his own choosing, which he went and hung himself after that. So you have to understand they're like... Yes, even if it was preordained, even if that was, Judas had a choice, though, with repentance. And he chose to go commit suicide. Now, I want to, do, I want to touch on this before we move on. And this was not in the, in the question, but I do want to touch on, the, on suicide. Um, I have had suicide happen uh, in my life from my grandfather when I was young and a very good friend a few years ago who I was ministering to. He was in a very dark place. Uh, recently, I just lost another pastor, and he actually was a leader of pastors. 
who had no clue, and it just, out of the blue, tragically killed himself. All of us have been touched in some way, shape, or form by suicide. Now the question would beg, do people who commit suicide go to heaven? Anybody has to accept Christ, right? Like, you have to. So here's the deal. Um, what we know is this. We're saved by grace and faith and not of works. So, my personal belief is, and scripture isn't 100% clear, but we do know that we're saved by grace through faith. If somebody was to kill themselves, yes, they would go to heaven if they are a follower of Jesus. But here, I want to delve a little deeper. Mental illness is what drives suicide. It is not just somebody one day wakes up and decides it's life's too tough and I'm ready to end it. In the mind of those, and pastors are committing suicide left and right, guys. It's an epidemic in some of the largest churches. It's not just, it's not small ones. There is anxiety and depression that gets so overwhelming, they've never learned to manage it. They've, they've, you know, they, they just press on or told that you love Jesus and he'll be your joy and strength. And it gets so overwhelming, they don't have any coping mechanisms and it gets so dark and they get tunnel vision. And if you've been left on the wake of suicide, like many of us have on the other side of this, and you're looking at what happened, you're going to what could I have done? Maybe I could have stopped this. And that's what I thought as a child. My grandfather killed himself. Um, now, I don't know his faith. I don't know if he was a follower of Jesus or not. I didn't know him that, that well in that capacity. But I do know that mental illness drives that. And when somebody's mentally ill, there is a, a grace. There's a grace on that person because they, they don't, they're not in their right mind. They're not able to think that way. Like you're thinking, why don't they just do that? They're not able to. Like somebody who's mentally handicapped is not able to, right? In the same way, someone who deals with such a debilitating mental illness that would cause them to take their own life is something there that you have to understand goes way beyond just making a decision, right? So I did want to touch on that as well. Uh, here's the second question. It says, I would love some clarity uh, around the role of women in the church. So many scriptures make it seem like women are second-class citizens in the Old Testament from being unclean uh, longer if you give birth to a girl under the law. And then to be told in the New Testament, women should be silent in the church. Jesus clearly loved and honored the women in his life. So how much is misunderstood or misapplied? Are female pastors biblical Women can teach or prophesy, but kind of where's the line with that? Now, again, you have to understand this. I have brothers and sisters in the faith who are Calvinists, and Calvinists usually lean toward a certain way on this topic, and Armenians who believe in free will, and we have choice, lean a different way. Um, there is in this, both, all these are all believers. I have friends who believe that because Paul said that a woman should not exercise authority over a man, he wrote that to Timothy, that women cannot teach or preach in a church. They believe because Paul said women should be silent in the church, that women shouldn't talk at all. So if you came into church talking today, you should have shut your mouth. I'm kidding. <laughs> Husband, tell your wife that and see what happens. You're going to get punched in the mouth. Um, to be silent in the church. And so they take the scriptures and they, the, the way they try to make sense of this, because we have a, and what I love about Christianity is this. Like you look at Islam, they're all, they all kind of just believe the same thing. Even their scholars all agree on the same thing or kind of all in the same boat. Denominations help. Because we, criti we critique, we, we look at a passage and break down the Greek and the etymology of the word. And we tell, I mean, it's beautiful, like all the cross-criticism we have within our own belief system, which is amazing. You have brothers who believe that, and that's what they heal. the heal. A woman should never pastor. They should never lead or teach from a stage. And that is on the far end of Calvinism, and that's Christianity, right? I have brothers who believe that, and they're still Christians. 
You may you disagree. That's the thing in our in our society. We believe if you disagree, you're intolerant and you're a bigot. That's stupid. I can disagree with you and be like, hey, I fully disagree, but hey, let's go have lunch. Right? I mean, it, it, isn't that possible? So you have people who believe that. That's not what I subscribe to, and I'll tell you why. And then you have the other end where you, the, the far other end is, yes, women can hold any, can do anything a man can do in Christianity. So you have these two extremes. Now, if you fall into there, you're going to fall into Christianity in some way. Now, here's the problem I have, though, with just that. Number one, what Paul was addressing were some cultural issues of the day. Women were, were oppressed in the Roman Empire. People want Christianity oppressed women. Go look at the Roman Empire. Go over and look at Islam and look at Islamic nations. You'll see oppression. That's oppression. Stop with, the, with this crying stuff that Christianity's oppressed. No, it's not. Christianity's freeing. Matter of fact, Jesus elevated women. The first woman ever to preach the gospel was a Samaritan woman. And he didn't say, don't go preach the gospel now. Don't, don't, don't you tell a man to come look for Messiah. Mary came to the tomb, resurrected Jesus. The angel wasn't like, hey, don't tell Peter the gospel. Just tell him to come look at the tomb because you know there's a clear, a clear line that you shouldn't be doing this. Then she preached the gospel. Um, when I asked my friends, okay, so when Paul said that a woman, when she prays, should have her head covered, which was a Jewish traditional cultural thing, do you do that in your churches? Oh, no, we don't do that. Oh, but you take everything else super literal, but you're going you, you, you to pick and choose with that. Women were elevated, and they had some chaos in the churches that they were dealing with. And Paul was trying to set some order to what was happening in those churches. Now, here's what you have to understand about women and leadership and all those things and, and teaching and preaching. Number one, when you study the spiritual gifts in the Bible, when it talks about teaching, leadership, um, being uh, apostolic, prophetic, whatever, whatever it is, in the Greek, it's just like Latin or Spanish. Or they have, a, they have the, the, the masculine, the neuter, and the feminine with, with a word. We don't have that, right? We just, in America, we just have the word. In their language, you can tell if it's a feminine use or if it's a masculine use or if it's a new, neutral use. Anytime the gifts are mentioned, there's never the masculine attached to it. It's always neutral. Number one. And Paul never said with the spiritual gifts, there are some are apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, except, oh, except for women. He would have went out of his way to clarify in every letter to make sure every church knew. Because what he wrote was just to the Corinthians about this and just to Timothy, right? He would have went out of his way. To, he didn't do that. So number one, we see that. Number two, here's the other thing that we have to understand. And this is, this is really important here. In ministry in the New Testament, you have Priscilla and Aquila. Unless that man was named Priscilla... <laughs> It was Priscilla and Aquila always mentioning together doing ministry. Always. You have Philemon and Aphia together doing ministry. And then you have something called the Phoebe problem. There's a lady named Phoebe in the New Testament that really gives a big wrench into the idea that women should not lead and should not hold office because Paul calls her a deacon. No deacon women are true. Ah, well, Phoebe, yeah, she, wow. She, she, Paul sure thought she, and he thought she was great enough to send her to a church to go minister. You don't hear about Phoebe when you hear this argument, do you? But she was very influential. 
And then you have um, uh, some ladies in Philippians, Eudoius and Syntychiki. And Eudoia and Syntychiki, these two ladies in Philippians, Paul calls them out for arguing. I think they were, like, they were arguing about their, about their chicken salad at the potluck. They're like, my chicken salad's better. No, my chicken salad's better. You're right. Oh, I make the better meatballs. I make them. Mine are all, all fresh. Yours are frozen. You're like, you know, like this, they're arguing. Paul's like, hey, can y'all stop arguing? Like, just stop it. And then he, then he tells the church at Philippi, he says, these two ladies labored with me in contending for the gospel. Now, contending for the gospel, do you think that means they, they watched the babies upstairs? That's all they could do? No, no, contending for the gospel means they, 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 they came against people who were trying to subvert the gospel in that church, that they led. And I think so many times that we, we take all of that out of there when we look at the New Testament. And so you have to figure out what hill will you die on? What is it for you in this lane of Christianity? Do you believe that women can't do anything in the church? Or do you believe they can do what a man can do in the church? You have to decide that. Now, at Thrive Church, um, there's two views you have. Either you're complementarian or egalitarian. Complementarian, which is Calvinist and it's more of a reformed view, is this. Men and women have the same worth and value to God, but women will be subject to men. Men are the first order, and that they believe in Calvinism and complementarianism that even though we have the same value, women should not and cannot do the same things men do in a church. So that's complementarian. And if you know somebody who's that, they're a believer. You just may not agree with them. But then you have egalitarian. Egalitarian is this. We believe men and women are equal in the body, and women can also minister just like men. And I'm going to tell you this, guys. I'm going to be very honest with you. And listen, I don't know where you fall in. It's okay. It's okay. We, we, we can disagree. If you find a church where you disagree on every, 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 every little thing, then it's probably going to be a church of about 10 people. I'm, I'm serious. I have met some really cruddy male pastors. Just not, not very good people, not very good individuals, and they're not very good at what they do. I mean, let's just be honest, right? I mean, I've been in churches that I did not want to sit under the message any longer, right? You're like, please get me out of here. I'm doing this because I love Jesus. Can we just be honest and you laugh a little bit? And I have sat under some incredible women teaching the scriptures as well, right? So I don't know. That's just my experience there. But that's, that's where we land at Thrive Israel. Where do y'all land? Well, the, we, 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 again, we, we operate non-denominationally, and so we have space for everybody. But with our governance, we do land that we've, we've had women on our directional team, right, with the, our board of our church. Like we, um, we, women, we believe women can teach and preach and do what men can do, right? Um, that's just where we land. We are egalitarian, not complementarian. So if you're wondering where that is in Scripture, you've got to decide what you believe. And guess what? You could be on either side of that and believe it, but you may disagree with others, and it's okay. Um, the, the next question I want to get to here, um, and this is uh, a, a good one, and I'm going to have to go. I, I got to jump around a little bit this morning. Some of these are taking way longer than I thought because it's just so much to unpack, which I love, right? This one's going to be a little hard. It's going to hit home. But where do you draw the line between supporting and having healthy relationships with friends and family who are homosexual and you're trying to stay true to what the Word of God, the Bible, says about homosexuality? For example, is talking to them about their romantic relationships, knowing you're a Christian um, and you don't agree, is that too much for them? Is attending a wedding going too far? How do you know 
Um, and, and how do you share what you believe with love without pushing them away? Number one, this is what you have to understand. You, you need to read the New Testament. If somebody who is LGBTQ or has questions wants to know, Pastor, what do you believe? Can I tell you something? I'm not standing in front of God for you. You're going to. And if you're just listening, and if you're just listening to what celebrities are telling you or the views telling you or what Oprah's telling you, you're in trouble. You need to crack the Bible open and see what it says. Okay? And it does say many times in the New Testament that homosexuality is a sin and it's a perversion of God's intended order of things. That's just what it says. I, I mean, I wish I could tell you it said something different. I know some of you are mad right now at me and upset, and you, you know, you're arguing in your mind, well, that's fine, I'm sorry, I'm not here to please you. You know, I'd, I'd go sell ice cream out there with, with Moises out there if I wanted to, you know, and that ice cream truck will make you happy. I'm here to teach you the scriptures. So number one, that's being said, that that's, that's what it says. Now, it, now listen, here's the thing. People who come into Thrive Church, who identify with LGBTQ+, whatever, we're gonna love them and care for them, right? Wrap your arms around them. I, I disagree with, with a lot of stuff. I disagree with people popping prescription pills and destroying their body and their life. I, disagree, I, disagree, I disagree with alcoholism. I disagree with gambling addictions and people who are ruining their families. I, I disagree with people who want to you know, test it out and shack up together before they get married. I disagree with all of that. But I, and you know what? I, but I'm not going to sit there and say, hey, man, I'm going to make it a point to, to be ugly to you and uh, mean to you about that. But here's what you have to understand when it comes to people in your life who identify that way and live that way. You've got to, and personally, I lean toward this side, but you've got to figure out, Jude says this in, in the book of Jude. He says, save some with compassion, meaning you have compassion and you operate compassionately, and save some with fear, fear of the fire, fear of hell. Jesus is full of grace, and he was full of truth, full of mercy and full of truth. I feel like we have people today who are the, all mercy. It's all fine. God loves everybody and God just really. Or, or you have people who are all truth. Ah, you know? I mean, I mean you, you, and that's what the world we live in. Jesus is both. You're going to have to decide for you. Romans 14 and 15 is very clear about this. When it comes to gray areas on how you are to interact with your family and th people of that nature, if they're unbelievers, they're unbelievers. They're going to do what they do anyway. But I, my fear is this, if you lose relationship with someone because you're trying to make a point to them about what you believe and why that's wrong, I mean, they, they know where you stand, right? If you try to make a point with it, you may never make an impact. Because here's the thing, when somebody living any type of lifestyle, anything that's contrary to scripture, they're going to hit tough moments in life. They're going to lose a loved one. They're going to lose a job. So, something's going to happen. And if you don't have any relationship with them because you just feel like, I'm just going to stand my ground in the word of God. My darn. <laughs> They'll never come to you. And relationship, if you're a parent, the number one thing you must never lose with your children is relationship. The sign of a good parent is they come back to home when they get older when they don't have to. If they're always avoiding you and will never do anything with you and never come to church with you, then, yeah, you stood firm on the word of God. Congratulations. They won't, and you'll never have a voice in their life, ever. 
Ben Cirillo, who's the son of David Cirillo of the Inspirational Network, shared this story that really, really impacted me. He said that while he was in Colorado, he was living far from God, his dad came to visit him, and he got in his truck, and he lit up a bowl while he was driving, Ben did, and his dad's I mean, a pastor and leader of this Christian network, television network, and he's smoking a bowl, and his dad said, he said, pull over, pull the car over. He thought, he thought his dad was mad at him. He said, pull the car over. He said, son, I'll drive. He said, just don't smoke that while, you know, while you're driving. I don't want to get in a wreck. And he said, he said, son, he said, do you know how much I love you and how much I believe you? Believe in you and how proud I am of you? I want you to know how much I love you. I don't care. You can smoke all you want to. I'm here. I love you. He said he could feel the Holy Spirit of God in that moment in there smoking that weed. He said, man, he said, he, had, he, he literally got rid of that stuff, changed his life, and came to the, to the Heavenly Father because his Father chose to keep relationship. Right? So when it comes to those things like that, that's what I would urge you to do. Yes, you do. When it comes to coming, going to a wedding, that's, that's up to you. You've got to decide what the Lord has laid on your heart and convictions. Christianity is not somebody telling you what to do all the time. There are great, or the Holy Spirit has to lead you in what you're supposed to do with that um, there. You be led on when you should talk and when you, when, when you shouldn't talk. But I'll tell you what, if you'll pray, if you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, God will open those doors. And you'll have perfect entryways to have conversations to help people understand this. And I want to close with this question here because I believe this question that I'm going to close with ties into this greatly. It says, in regards to John 8 and the woman caught in adultery, why did Jesus write in the dirt or the sand? And what did he write? Uh, let me say this. This is what happened, and I'll tell you something you need to take to the bank on. Is in John chapter 8, Jesus is at a festival, and he's the festival of lights, of tabernacles, he's teaching. Oh, excuse me, the booths, and he's teaching, the tabernacles. And um, he's there. It's a big event. And as he's there, these religious men named Pharisees find this woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, how do you find somebody like that? I mean, I, you, we, we believe maybe she was set up. They drag her to Jesus. And you know who's not dragged to Jesus? The dude. That's why some people believe it's all set up. But according to the Torah, the Jewish law, our Old Testament, it says if you're caught in the act of adultery, stone them to death. And it does not mean smoke weed till you die. <laughs> some of you are like, oh, I'll let me get stoned to death. So like, no, that's not what it means, right? That's what I thought. Like I said, don't you laugh. I thought, I thought that. I'm talking about stoning people. <laughs> I was like, man, I, yeah, bro, I do that all the time. So, <laughs> and they, they, they bring her to Jesus, and they have stones in their hand. They say, no, we got you, Jesus. What does the law say? And Jesus kneels down, and he writes something in the dirt. Now, if anybody ever wants to tell you what he wrote in the dirt, run, because the Bible doesn't tell us. You know why? Because we don't need to know. Only be as clear as Scripture is clear when you're interpreting Scripture. We don't know. We know the effect of what he wrote. Here's the effect. He says, you without sin cast the first stone. So it says the oldest from the youngest dropped their stones, and they walked away. And Jesus said two things to her. He said, neither do I condemn you, now go sin no more. What Jesus did at that moment was this. 
He was mercy and truth 100%, 100%. He was grace and truth 100%, 100%. Our good God looks at us. We're living, I mean, this woman, that's all she ever knew probably. Just like the woman at the well was all these different relationships. She thought, this will make me happy. And friends, we have, I, I thought that smoking weed and drinking and doing any drug you put for me, I thought that would make me happy. And I wanted to live. I didn't want to give that up. And we have people in our lives like that. They're doing things that are contrary to the word of God. They think, but here's what Jesus does. He says, I offer you a better way. He didn't stone her or condemn her. He said, I'm going to give you mercy and grace. I forgive you. There's no condemnation. But then he says this, I invite you to this better way. Leave that old sin life behind. Go sin no more. Truth. See, Jesus loves us just the way we are. He'll never leave us that way. And I think we have to understand to us personally, that's what he does. And for the world, here's what we have to understand. You can change no one. People, I want to change the world. Man, you can't change anybody. It's hard to change yourself, right? Amen? Your job's to love them. Same thing is true. Here's what God does for us. He invites you in saying there's a better life. You know you're not happy. You know you, you want more, and this is what I can offer. And I'll offer you a life. You never have to go back to that stuff ever again and live that way because i got something so much better for you. And that's what he would say to you today. If you're wondering, man, what do I get just from this information today? I want you to understand this, that the Father's arms are open wide to you. And I want to pray. I want to pray, first of all, for people who are followers of Jesus in here and watching online, for God to help you be a representative of Christ wherever you go. But I want to pray today also for you that want to give your life to Jesus. So let's pray. Father, I pray today for every person in here who names the name of Christ, who needs courage, and who needs the power of the Holy Spirit to live out as a representative of grace and truth to the world that needs grace and truth. I pray for that right now. Help us, Lord, to mimic you and show the world Jesus because they're crying out for fulfillment and for purpose and true happiness that only comes in serving you. May we be your representatives, your ambassadors. And now for all of those in here today or watching online, maybe for you, you walked away from your faith because you had some stone-throwing Christians that hurt you. Maybe you walked away from your faith because you were hurt by people or you gave up because something happened that you didn't understand. Or maybe you've never given your life to Christ and you say, today I'm doing it. Today is the day because the Father's arms are open wide. Right where you're sitting, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And you say, God, I need Jesus. I need the Savior. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord. I repent of my old life. I leave it behind. I embrace new life. For I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross. And I believe he rose again on the third day. Jesus, you are my Lord now serve you. Thank you for forgiving me and giving me a new life. In Jesus' good name I pray.